way that we can't fully understand or fully comprehend, but He Himself came. The creator of all the universe, the one that, uh, you know, that created the Pythagorean theorem before Pythagoras uh, happened upon it, you know, the one that decided gravity was a good idea. Um, that one, He came uh, in, in the flesh and He dwelt with us, among us, um, in, in a point in time in history. And one of the guys that got to see it up close, actually He was the big disciple, He was the big apostle, the one that was loved particularly by Jesus he came, and he writes this in John chapter 1, verse 10. I didn't give this to the guys in the back. It's not down there. So if you have your Bible, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which, which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And then down in verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. That Lord Jesus, He is the one who came. He is the one who stepped into history and allowed Himself to be sacrificed on our behalf that you and I might find forgiveness of our sins and the relationship that was lost in the fall, the relationship that was broken because of our sin and our rebellion against God, He made new and made right so that we can have right standing with God again. Amen? That is just really simply the gospel, isn't it? And it changes everything. It's changed human history. And uh, raise your hand if it's changed your life. It's changed mine. Amen? Change your life. It's changed mine. All right. First Thessalonians, and it's still changing my life, right? As I continue to, to learn and explore, as I continue to meditate on what that means that God loves me so much, uh, you know, just John 3.16, God loves me so much. God loves the world so much that he gave his one and only son, right? Just that, the fact, just to ponder on the love of God that will allow his son to go through that kind of sacrifice. The fact that, you know, to know that we now have freedom in Christ. You guys have been reading, right, in Galatians. Man, Galatians is all about freedom, isn't it? Freedom from sin in part, but mostly what was happening in Galatia was what? Y'all tell me, you've been reading. Something really has Paul's ire up. He writes in that book, in that letter, like he doesn't write it in any of the others. He gets really, he's upset. I mean, you can read it in his words. What's really got his ire up there in Galatia? Yeah, there were some Judaizers, right? Judaizers were people who would want to come in and they want to take Gentile believers and say, you want to be a believer, you want to please God, you have to get circumcised, right? You have to, you have to now follow the law. And man, Paul just goes off, really literally, um, and, uh, and says, you want to be circumcised, then you better follow the whole law because that's what it's going to take. And of course, no one could do that. Um, and they were exchanging, they were t exchanging this grace, this, this salvation that comes through faith in just the simple belief that Jesus Christ died for my sins, and it says instead they want to add to it and say, and I've been circumcised because that really helps me please God. Jesus says you can't have one and the other. They cannot be in existence together. They cannot coexist. You either choose faith in Jesus Christ or you choose the law. You cannot have both. But no one is saved by following the law, right? So pretty simple choice, right, isn't it? I choose salvation by faith. This, this is good for me. I like this. I like this a lot. That is what, what uh, Paul is all uptight about and, uh, in, in Galatians. So excellent book, excellent book about the freedom that we have for Christ. I love especially, I think it's, uh, is it Galatians 5, 1, 3, 1? I can't remember. He says, it is for freedom that he has set us free. I love that. You know, um, I, you know what? I can't go on about that. We got we to gotta get into 1 Thessalonians. Let's go. Just for the sake of wanting his children to be free. You know, there are a lot of places in Scripture, and rightfully so, that says that we've been saved to 
become slaves of God, or we've been freed from slaves of sin to be now slaves to God. And there's a lot of places in the, like, in the Scripture like that, and that's all good and, 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 uh, and uh, relevant and, and important for us. But the other thing is, is it says in Galatians very simply, Paul writes it, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Just for the sake that he wanted to see his people free, that he freed us from the law and he freed us from being slaves to sin and he rejoiced in it. It's like when the Allied forces came into Germany or the Western Bloc of, uh, of Europe, um, Eastern Bloc of Europe, wherever um, uh, Nazi Germany had taken over and they had made in, uh, POW encampments where they were you know, doing horrible things to people. Why did the Allied forces go in and set POWs free? They wanted to see people set free. Just for that fact, there was no, there was no military strategy in there. There was, there was no death blow to Nazi Germany. It's because what was happening in those camps was not right. And the people were being imprisoned imprisoned there. And we, you know, the Allied forces determined to go into those places and set those prisoners free for the sake of freedom. You too, and I too, have been set free like that just for the sake. Because our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus, wanted us to be set free. Okay. First Thessalonians, that was the pre-sermon. How about that? Sorry about that. <clears throat> Sometimes I can't stop myself, can't help myself. First Thessalonians, let me give you just a little bit of a background. First Thessalonians is one of the early letters of Paul. Um, if you remember in Acts chapter 17, we hear the history of what happens in Thessalonica. What happens is that Paul and Silas go through in their second missionary journey. They go through Thessalonica and they stay with a guy. Actually, this guy's name's Jason. Uh, is, is a believer and, and comes to know the Lord apparently through um, their um, uh, Paul and Silas work. They're there for a short time in the early summer of AD 50, 50 AD, right? Uh, and they're there for a very short time because something bad happens. The Judaizers, again, they stir up a mob and the mob goes to the Jason's house and they're trying to fall, find Paul and Silas so that they might I don't know, kill them, arrest them, one of the two. They only find Jason in Jason's house, and so they haul Jason off into prison where he has to post bond. But what happens to Paul and Silas is they have to leave. They can't stay there because there's been such an uproar in the city of Thessalonica that it's not safe for them anymore, and they have to leave, and they have to depart early. So let me just pause there. Do you remember the very next section of Acts chapter 17? Probably not off the top of your head, that's okay. You should, though. Let's have that ready for next week, all right? Um, it, the very next thing is that happens is that they go to what? Berea. Berea. And, and there's a really incredible statement. It says that but the Bereans weren't like the Thessalonians. They're a more noble character. They heard, what they, they heard what Paul and Silas had to say and listened to it, and they searched the Scriptures yeah, to see if what they were saying was true. Beautiful thing about, Thessalon- about the Bereans. But Thessalonica, let me just say this before we go on very much, very much further. It looked like a disaster. Paul and Silas came, and, and they get run out of town by an angry mob, and they weren't there as long as they wanted to be. There's confusion amongst the people who had become Christians, and it looked like the Judaizers had won. It looked like Christianity would have been stomped out, stamped out, uh, because the Judaizers ran off Paul and Silas, and they didn't have time there to really develop the maturity of the church. They didn't really have time to develop those believers. And so there's all kinds of confusion going on and stuff, but, but let me tell you, let me tell you, the gospel of Jesus Christ changes everything. There was, once the seed had been planted in Thessalonica, there would be believers in that city from that moment forward, from that time forward, because the gospel could not be stamped out. It is the power of God, as Paul writes in Romans. It is the power of God for salvation. 
Um, it is God's power. And, and um, despite the attempts of the Judaizers to absolutely stamp out this religion because they didn't believe in it and they were jealous about it. Actually, it says in Acts that the, the, the Judaizers, the Jews were jealous of Christianity and so they chased Paul and Silas out of town. I'm paraphrasing the back end of that, but anyway, it does say they were jealous uh, and they ran them out of town and it looked like that, that, every, that they had failed in their mission in Thessalonica, but no, Christianity had grabbed a foothold there and it would not relent. There would, there, there would be people in Thessalonica who were followers of Jesus Christ even uh, all up through history now. So anyway, uh, that's Acts chapter 17, and um, there's something else I want to say. Oh, yeah. So, so Paul gets, and apparently the next good opportunity he gets to sit down and write a letter, he sits down and writes 1 Thessalonians because he's heard back that there's some confusion in the believers because, of course, he wasn't there for a very long time. Because since the time that he's been there, and over maybe a year or two, this is maybe 80, 51, 52, so just maybe a year, maybe a few months even, uh, between the time that Paul has left in Acts chapter 17, and he pins 1 Thessalonians as a letter to send back to them, there's confusion in the church. And the confusion is this. They thought Jesus was coming back immediately. Okay? They thought he was coming back immediately. And they're concerned because some of their brethren there in the church had died. And they thought, Jesus didn't come back. My friend, my brother, my sister, whatever, has died. And so now what? Are they forever lost? There was that kind of confusion that's going on in the church. And Thessalonians is just a beautiful picture about, um, about that very question. What happens to the dead who are in Christ? When is it going to be that we're going to see the Lord Jesus return? What's it going to look like when he comes back? And Paul answers all those questions in 1 Thessalonians. If you don't have a reading schedule, be sure and pick one up on the back table. Um, let's see, today was the last day for Galatians, I believe, and we're starting 1 Thessalonians tomorrow. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're just going to get to the crux of the matter. This is just beautiful stuff. I'm going to cheat ahead a little bit so that you know what you're reading. I'm sorry, I said 5. We're going to be in chapter 4. Chapter 4 first. Yeah, Jason's really, you don't know where you're going. Okay, First um, Thessalonians chapter 4. And listen, listen to what he says. Chapter 4, middle of chapter 4 is verse 13. And here we go. This is the purpose, the main purpose of the letter right here. He says, brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Okay, what's he saying? We don't want you to be ignorant about what's happened to those guys who have died. Those people, you know, the term fall asleep is not uncommon in literature, in biblical literature, or even some secular literature of, the, of that day, um, but those who have died and grieve like the rest of the men who have no hope. Let me pause there for just a second and say a little quick something. When a believer, when we lose a believer, we all grieve, right? We, we've, we've, uh, we all grieve. You know, we've seen loss of, of, of several people. And, you know, my pastorate here for about 10 years, um, what I've, um, I don't even know how many funerals I've conducted, and some of them for, for babies, some of them for men who had children, um, some of them for the elderly, but oftentimes not. Um, this is a, a tragic part of our world. It's a tragic part of the fallen nature of our world is that, Death comes, and it comes all too soon, uh, no matter if you're old or young or what. But uh, death comes really for us all. It's just part of the nature of this fallen body and this fallen world that we live in, right? right. This body is in this current condition isn't going to make it out of here, right? Neither is yours, right? And in some ways, maybe that's not a bad thing, right? <laughs> but uh, but uh, uh, in this present condition, it's not going to make it. But, and so, you know, Paul's basically, you know, one of the things that the Bible, you know, asserts is that you know, death comes for all men in this body, but, but we as believers know that there's something beyond this life. There's something beyond this body. 
um, and there's something greater that's coming, and we're going to read about it here in just a moment. But it's because of that that even in death, the believer has hope. Nobody else does, but the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ has hope, and we're going to read about that just in just a little bit. And let me tell you, um, this, this is kind of the first point that I have for you t- today, is that we're going to be talking here about Christ's return, um, and we're going to be talking about that here in just a moment in verse 14. But the first point I would like to make with you this morning is that Christ's return gives us hope for those who have fallen asleep or those who have died. All right? Christ's return gives us hope for those who have fallen asleep. And so it says, you know, it says here that we don't grieve like people who have no hope. We grieve, but we don't grieve like people who have hope because we do have hope that the end of this body and the end of this life is not the end at all. It is actually maybe a, an opening for us into what is coming for us in eternal life. Amen? Amen. And so when we, leave, when we lose someone to death, we know that this is not permanent, right? We know that this is a temporary thing, that one day we'll be reunited with them, that one day uh, we and they will share a, uh, not share like together, but we will both have a, a glorified body like the Lord Jesus did, and he will make it happen for us because he died and rose again. In verse 14, we believe. He's going to give us the reason for the hope. We don't grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. In verse 14, this is so important, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Now, I've been preaching to you here for a couple of weeks about how the gospel changes everything. Listen, here it is. Here it is, just very simply put in this context. Because we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again. Because of that fact, because it's true. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those, have fall, those who have fallen asleep in him. So he, so he says, because we saw Jesus die, and because we know he rose again, because we believe that, we believe also that God will bring the dead in Christ along with him. And we're going to talk about when here in just a moment, but, but don't lose that. Here, because we know of what happened with Jesus Christ, we have faith to believe in what's coming next, okay? Um, I believe in the second coming of Christ. Now, I've had people who have been coworkers with me, I, literally, I, I kid you not, who mocked me for that belief. Yeah, you, you, have you, uh, people who just don't believe in Christianity, they look at that and they say, no, you know, the Bible's an old story, it's an ancient text, um, it, it, it's, it's just an allegory, it's not a real story, it didn't really happen, and so how can you believe in the second coming? I believe that the second coming is happening because I'm convinced the first coming did. I believe Jesus Christ died and rose again, and so I have faith that Jesus Christ is coming again. Why? Because the guy that conquered death said, I'll be back. Right? And so I believe it. You know, the guy who can beat death, the guy who's when, his, when he's dead can, can come back to life, I've got a lot of faith in what he says, right? Uh, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I'll be back, and he does. And he says he talked about returning, and he will. And the, the, all of his followers believe the very same thing. Paul here now, <clears throat> even talking about it to the Thessalonians um, about 20 years later. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. That, that verse right there is probably the key verse to the whole epistle of Thessalonians, is that he's writing for this purpose. Because we believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have hope that God will bring uh, those who have fallen asleep with Jesus when he returns. In verse 15, according to the Lord's own word, Okay, so here he's, he's, ta- he's talking about Jesus himself. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, 
who are left till the coming of the Lord, we will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Okay, so those who have fallen asleep, those who have died and yet believed in the Lord Jesus Christ will go ahead of those who are still alive when Jesus Christ returns, okay? Verse 16, he'll go a little more detail. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. I've always wanted to have, uh, if I die before Christ returns, I just want to put on my, my tombstone the words, I'll race you, because, you know, I'm going to beat everybody who's still alive. All right? After that, I'm sorry, that's kind of ridiculous. After that, we who are still uh, alive and are left will be caught up together. Notice the, the precedent. So the dead first, then us who are alive, if we're alive. We will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Okay, I'm skipping over some stuff that I'm, I'm sure I should have talked about, but um, we're going to be with the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Here's the second point. First, the first point was Christ's return gives us hope for those who have fallen asleep, but the second point, the second thing that we, that we look forward to, or the second confidence, really, that the Lord's turn, return gives to us is it encourages us that our salvation is near. The Lord said he was coming back for us, and I don't know about you, but I'm ready, you know, uh, I, I've, had my, I've had my taste of this world, and I've decided, you know what, this ain't all it's cracked up to be, uh, but heaven is, amen? And uh, being with the Lord forever, that sounds awfully good. Um, we'll get to explore his glory and beauty forever. It'll be a beautiful thing. And Paul ends that chapter by saying, encourage each other with these words. Isn't that great? Hold on, because the Lord's coming back to us. And he's going to tell us here in just a little bit, he's going to tell us to, to remain faithful and to remain uh, self-controlled and some other things. But, um, but this is good reason for us to talk to each other about this, is that hold on because the Lord's return is certain. He said he was coming back and he will. How do we know this? Because he died and he rose again. I have faith, and it's not just an empty faith. It's not just like, um, you know, I could have faith that uh, maybe this room would fill completely with water, but that's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? Now, if I believe, though, that I've seen the Lord work in the past and he did what he said he would do, um, that's not an empty faith, is it? That's a faith that's based on what the Lord's done in the past. That's a faith of the Scriptures. It's not just some silly um, little belief that something might happen. It is confidence that the Lord is going to do all that he said he would. And that's the kind of belief that we have, amen, the kind of faith that we have. So be it. Okay, encourage each other with, with those words. So the Lord's coming back for you and I. And so listen, the things that you struggle with today, one day you're not going to struggle with them anymore. The lack of faith that you have today, the lack of following through, the lack of self-control, uh, the sins that you struggle with, they're going to pass away, every one of them, because one day the Lord's going to return for you and your salvation will be absolutely complete, right? No more struggles, no more sorrows, right? I'm ready for the day. Those will all be done, right? Oh, those will all be done. And it's, ha it's, it's, going, it's going to happen. You know, the time is near. It's nearer today than it was 2,000 years ago. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. First Thessalonians chapter 5 now. Now now he's going to tell them about the time because they've been very confused about the time. They've been very confused about the condition of the dead. Um, and uh, so here's some of the answers about the timing. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now, brothers, about the times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. There's some very interesting things that are pointed about, out about when Jesus Christ is coming. You'll notice with me, if you'll look back just a little bit in verse 4. 16 of chapter 4, 
the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet call in, in, of God, and the dead in Christ will raise first. Do you suppose we'll know it when it happens? Listen, uh, yeah, listen, not, just, not this only place, but also in the Gospels where Jesus talks about this everyone's going to know something incredible is happening. Now, there's going to be confusion for those who don't know the Lord Jesus and don't understand what's happening, but everyone will know. It doesn't say, you know, it doesn't say here that uh, with a loud command, he's just going to whisper and the dead will rise, right? Uh, there's going to be a loud command. An archangel from heaven will speak and the Lord himself will appear at what we believe is described here is what? The rapture, right? The rapture, okay. Um, after that, those who are still, I'm sorry, let's get back down to chapter 5. Um, now, brothers, about the time today, so we do not need to write to you. Verse 2, for you know very well the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So there are a couple of things he writes about it. One is that everyone's going to know, everyone's going to see when it happens. But yet the other thing that he's re- teaching here is what? I'm sorry? That's right, that it's going to come unexpectedly, right? A thief doesn't come and knock on your door and say, hey, I'm going to rob you tomorrow night. Right? The thief comes right when no one's expecting it. That's what the parallel that he's making here, the symbolism that he's using, the, the story that he's using, um, that he's going to come unexpectedly. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Anytime that the Scripture uses a pregnant woman or labor pains, I take that to be bad. I've seen three children born. It's not pretty. It's amazing. It's a miracle. It's beautiful, but it's not pretty. Verse 4. But you brothers are not, I'm sorry, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Okay, let me tell you what's going to happen for the rest of the the chapter. We live in a place where it rains really hard really fast. If you didn't believe that, it happened yesterday, right? Shouldn't surprise you. If you live in Florida, you shouldn't be surprised that there is during a certain season some things that they call what? Hurricanes, right? If you live in Florida and you live along the coast, you might have some plywood in the garage to board up the windows, right? If you live in the panhandle of Texas, you make sure, might make sure your drainage works because you might get six inches of rain in a couple of minutes, right? Not exactly. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but you know how it is. Let me tell you, I, I saw the forecast. When's the last time we had a forecast for 50 to 60% chance of rain? Anybody remember? Uh, I saw that. I heard that, and I knew that, you know, the dust had kind of settled in on some of the drainage around my house, so I went out with a shovel, and I cleaned all that out because so I, I didn't want my garage to to fill with water, which has happened in our house. Uh, but I knew it was going to happen, and I knew it wasn't going to be a surprise. I couldn't, read the, I couldn't see the forecast that we had a 50 or 60% chance of rain was coming. Now, I didn't know exactly when it would come, but I know we had a really good chance. So what did I do? I got ready because I knew it was going to happen. I didn't know the exact time. I didn't know the exact date. I didn't know when it was going to happen, but, man, I was hopeful for it. But I knew it was coming, and so I prepared. That's exactly what Paul's going to tell the Thessalonians here in the rest of the verse. You brothers are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. No, you should not be surprised. The Lord Jesus will return, amen? Will you be surprised? No, I just told you, right? If you're paying attention. All right, here we go. Uh, Verse 6, I'm sorry, verse 5. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others. Okay, there are a couple of things he, he says about this. He, he says that you're gonna, you know, there's going to be confusion about those people who are not believers. Uh, they walk around in darkness, and darkness and light is talked about so much in the Bible, I don't have time to talk about it much. But light and darkness is talked about in goodness and, and badness. It's also talked about in understanding. You know, in darkness is people who are confused, but in light, people are enlightened by the truth of God. Um, and we are like, uh, uh, you are sons of the light and sons of the day. 
um, and verse 6, So then let us not be like the others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. He's going to give us some commands here as we get ready for the Lord's second return, or for the Lord's return, second appearance. So then let us not be like the others who are asleep, but let us be alert and controlled. So he's going to give us some differences between those who are in the, in the darkness and those who are in the light. Those who are in the darkness are going to be confused at the times. They won't be expecting the Lord Jesus to the concern. You, however, who are in the light ought to know that he's coming and it will not be a surprise to you. Amen? And those who are, who are in the darkness are asleep, but those who are in the light are what? Awake and alert, knowing that the day is coming, believing that it's coming, believing that it's near, believing that the Lord Jesus really is going to return. But since we belong to the day, verse 8, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. I love those words. So he says, so what do we do? What do, what do you and I do to get ready? Sell all our stuff and go, you know, move to the hill or, you know, so we could see him coming first. It doesn't say that. Instead, he talks a lot about how we're supposed to interact with other believers and other people. And he talks about, listen to the things that, that, that he says. He says, be self-controlled. Be alert. Be self-controlled. Putting on faith and love as a breastplate. Putting on faith and love. Believing and knowing what the Lord Jesus will do. But putting on love, what? For other people, putting on love as though it's a garment, as though you're putting on something that, that envelops you and becomes all that people see is the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as you get ready, put on faith. Believing in the God's goodness, believing in His mercy, believing in His word that He's going to do all that He said and walking in the confidence of all that He's called you to do. That, right, that if He's called you to do it, He'll help you to do it. But not only that, put on love. And where, boy, Paul writes this in almost every one of his letters, doesn't he? Put on love. It ought to envelop you. It ought to be what people see when they look at you. Not anger, not bitterness, not unforgiveness, not any of those things, but love like our Father and like the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Uh, we could talk about that just a little bit, but uh, faith, hope, and love, these sound familiar at all? Paul writes about these three a lot. First Corinthians chapter 13, right? Uh, where he talks about faith, hope, and love remaining. But the greatest of these is love. Good study this week. Okay, he died, verse, uh, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, that's why we believe that this place in scriptures and other places in the scriptures are what's describing as the rapture of the church prior to the tribulation. Um, you don't, uh, anyway, whatever you believe about that, I don't necessarily care. But I do believe in the end, we all have to follow the command of the Scripture, and we have to be ready for the day. Amen? Okay. He died for us, so that whether we awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. So in the end, as we know the Lord Jesus is coming, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be self-controlled. We're supposed to be uh, a diligent in doing what the Lord has told us to do. We're supposed to be diligent in pursuing Him and in serving the body and in loving other people. We're supposed to be loving towards others. We're supposed to put on faith and love and to live in them like clothes, to, to let them cover you and to cover your attitude towards other people. And sometimes we lose that good, loving, and faithful attitude towards people and we show them something else, don't we? But the gospel changes everything. It can change our attitudes as well. Amen? And, and thank God I, I need that sometimes. you need that sometimes? 
man, some of you guys need that. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, now, we need that sometimes. We need the Lord to really to step in and to be for us what we can't be on our own. I can't be disciplined enough to always be loving toward my wife. I can't. I've, tr- I've tried and failed over and over. I can't be uh, disciplined enough to love my children all the time. I just can't do it. Um, it's something I have to continually repent of and, and ask for the Lord's help for. I, I just, just have to. And with people in general, I, always, you know, I have to continually ask the Lord to help me to be loving and faithful uh, with them. Uh, and you do too. But, but here's, here's kind of the crux. Here's kind of how I wanna, would like to end today is this. He's coming back. Are you living in a way that you want to be living when he returns? Are you being self-controlled? Are you being diligent to what he's called you to do? Because when he comes back, I don't want to have any regret. You know, I, 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 I won't have shame. I won't have embarrassment because all that's going to be covered up by the Lord Jesus Christ. All of, all of his mercy and grace, that's going to cover all, it all. But I don't want to live with regret that I know that he's called me to something that I've not been self-controlled enough to do. Or, nor do I want to be caught in something that I don't want him to be catching me in so that I'm not showing self-control. But I need his help with that too. I, I need the work of his Holy Spirit in me. Uh, to accomplish that too. I, I've got to have it. Um, he's coming back. Are you, are you prepared? Are, are you ready? Are you in a place that you'd say, Lord, I, I'm, I'm ready for you and, and, and I, I, I leave no regrets. I, 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 I'm ready for your return. I, I want you to come. He could come today. He could come this afternoon and Lord, hasten the day, um, hasten the time. Um, I, are you in a place where you're ready? Are you prepared? Listen, the Lord Jesus uh, and his gospel changes everything, but sometimes that change can be a little slow for us. Sometimes we can get a little bit stuck. So I want to ask you today, um, just as you ponder these words from Paul this morning, um, would you just ponder that this morning? Are you ready? Has his change, the change that he's been trying to affect in you, have you been faithful to follow through? Have you been self-controlled? Have you been putting on faith and love? Have you been wearing hope have you been doing those things, or are you struggling? Are you kind of stuck in a place where you've not been faithful to the change that he's called you to? Um, I just want to give you the opportunity now just to, just, just between you and the Lord there this morning, if you'd like, just to, to confess and repent and ask him for his help to carry out his change that he's trying to affect in you by the work of his Holy Spirit and by the message uh, of the gospel in you. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, we, we pray this morning, uh, Lord God, that you would... Um, that you would uh, that you would come to us this morning. That you would um, that you would remind us, Father, and, and just help just place these words in our minds that they're that they're always um, there's always an opportunity, Lord God, that you you could come today, you could come tomorrow, and Father, I pray that in that time that we would that we would be ready to meet you, that we wouldn't be that we wouldn't be living with any regret, that that we would take hold of of um, all those things that you've taken a hold of us for. Um, that, that we would uh, be following through, Lord God, with, what, with whatever you've called us to. And Father, um, where we've stopped in fear, Lord God, I just pray this morning that the, 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 the message of Paul as we read it this week, Lord God, as, as he talks and he preaches to the Thessalonians to, to live in self-control and, and not doing the things that you've not called us to, but doing the things that you have called us to, Lord, I, I pray that you would help us prepare. Help us, Lord God, in our minds, in our attitudes, in our actions towards other, to put on others, to, to put on love and faith. I pray that you'd help us to live lives of hopefulness, knowing, Lord God, that our salvation is near. And Lord God, I, I do pray too, as, as I encourage your people here at Calvary this morning uh, with these words, that the Lord Jesus is coming, uh, that, that there is real hope, even for those who have passed on from this life. 
that there is real hope of salvation that we have and that we have real hope of change, Lord God. I pray this morning uh, that you would help us all to be ready. So, Lord, as we, as we think about your return, I pray that you would help your people here at Calvary in particular to be ready for your return. Let us be found as faithful servants, we pray. It's in Jesus' great name that we pray. Amen. Hey, Brent, do you want to come and come? Sabrina, do you want to come and share any part of today? You, or you want to be a little anonymous this morning? Coming up in it here, you don't have to say anything. I'll, I, I'll do that part if you want. Um, this is Sabrina. Tell me your last name. I don't know your last name. I'm sorry? Colaber. Colaber. Okay, Colaber. This is Sabrina Colaber, one of our neighbors, actually, just across the street. Um, she came this morning and uh, asked to give her life to Jesus Christ. Um, she said that there were some things in her life that she wanted to uh, turn from and repent of and really needed uh, a new beginning, needed the new life that, that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ and needed the Lord to come into her life and, and save her from her sins. And uh, as we sing this morning, our God does save doesn't he? Amen. And continues to save. So um, anyway, so we just we just uh, just celebrate with you this morning in this new life and and just pray the Lord's uh, help for you like I need help. And uh, uh, as he calls you uh, into into a new life and we just re- rejoice the Lord's covered over your sins and uh, and has new life for you this morning. So um, let's dismiss. Let's see uh, who we got here this morning. Clint, would you mind praying for us? Would you guys all stand and uh, Clint will uh, will pray for us to be dismissed. And if you guys would like to come and, and meet uh, Sabrina, we'd be happy for you to do that. I'll here stand here with you until we're done. Okay, thank you, sir.